Welcome back to another episode of This Is Africa. My name is Adama. My name is Amiri. Welcome back. Hi guys, my name is Samba. And today we're a man short. Lord is not here at the moment, but we definitely will get him back. Um, but today, again, like I said, guys, welcome back to another episode of This Is Africa. Um, this is going to be part two of last week's episode. Like we said, we might have one of those. Um, last week's episode is titled Because You Are a Woman. Um, if you haven't listened yet, you can go back and check that one out. During last week's episode, our guests gave us a perspective of how they feel women's movements have grown over the course of their lifetimes and gave us a lot of perspective into their own personal growth as a woman within their family dynamics and socially in public. Uh, today, we have two new guests, excitingly, two people that are experts in the field of African relations. Um, TK, through nice hard work, has 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 got us these lovely women to come in and give us their perspective and their their look into how women's lives have shaped. Yeah, and what's it called? Um, last episode was received so well that we had to do it with people that are actually experts on the African continent to hear their perspective in terms of you know governmental relations and how getting women, I guess, involved. You know, in the, in this new role that they're coming into. So I'm excited for this one. And our first guest, I'm trying to get her in right now, is a Sahel expert and the former foreign minister of Mali. You know, she's held multiple high governmental positions. And back in um, 2018, when she was named foreign minister of Mali, she was um, actually the youngest foreign minister in the world at 35. Mm. So I think she just connected. Let me see. Exactly. is right there. Hello? Hello, I'm, I'm listening to you speaking about me. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I hope <laughs> I didn't miss Hi, anything. Hello. No, no, welcome, no, no. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Welcome, Kamisa. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Thank you very much again for being willing to participate in this conversation today. Yeah, take it. My pleasure. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to say, you're also a mother, which is very important in our community. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm the mother of a toddler. She's a... Uh, 18 months old and a handful. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks. So today, um, I've already sent you the questions prior, and we're going to talk about, you know, African women, um, society today. Um, mm-hmm. In our last episode, we had the perspective of, um, you know, younger women. You're young yourself, mm-hmm. but we wanted the opinions of somebody who has actually served in the government and has been able to see how it works while you're on the ground in Africa. Mm-hmm. So our first question, you know, just to get started is, um, you know, you, I know you've occupied a lot of high governmental positions in your tenure that are mm-hmm. usually occupied by men. And also you occupied those positions at such a young age. Obstacles mm-hmm. were definitely inevitable. So mm-hmm. we would like to know, would you mind telling us a bit about some of the challenges you face, you know, throughout this path? So, uh, well, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's really a pleasure and an honor. Oh, um, And, you know, talking about challenges, I think I've, I've faced a lot of challenges because I was a woman, because I was a young woman, and because I was also from the diaspora. I didn't grow up in Mali. I wasn't raised in Mali. I wasn't born in Mali. I was born in France by Malian parents and I made the conscious, the conscious choice of 
going back to my country, my parents' country. And so I was, I would say, often perceived as an outsider. Mm-hmm. And added to that the fact that I was a young woman of uh, 35 and I was wearing dresses and just not wearing the same, you know, big boo-boos like my aunts would. Um, I really did stand out um, of, from the crowd, right? right? So mm-hmm. that did, I think, um, raise a few questions about why I was there, why I was picked and what I could bring to the position. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that the first challenge I faced, and I think most uh, ministers do face uh, these challenges, but uh, because of the, all the reasons I mentioned before, mine were multiplied by a hundred. It was, um, you know, the media scrutiny and I, I, I will dare to say media harassment. It was wow. every <laughs> single day. Every single day, front page of newspapers talking about how I was dressed, how they think I wasn't fit for the position, or why they think I am fit for the position, or um, they would even make up uh, stories about me. I remember the one that really traumatized me was they really, like, took the time to draft this story saying that I was an alcoholic. Oh I um, was hiding bottles of whiskey under my table what? and that I was serving alcohol to um, the guests that I would welcome in my office and that my secretary had a fridge in which she would also store my alcohol uh, 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 beverages. And I remember one morning coming to the office and my secretary just ran to me and she's like, man, I don't even have a fridge in my office. I said, well, the journalist said you have a, you have a fridge, so you do have a fridge, okay? Just get used to it. Wow. And wow. so, and then, you know, I mean, it was, it was crazy, but then at some point you're like, well, you know, these guys, they have nothing else to do. Uh, they're still going to talk to me, talk about me. And a friend of mine who was minister a few years back told me, look, if they are after you like this, that means you're well ahead of them. So you need to, you know, keep on. And so I, I it took me a while to get used to it, but I eventually did. And what um, started to be uh, probably the most difficult aspect of, of, you know, being in a government position became... Um, uh, I would say an achieve a personal achievement uh, because I I was you know able to to manage it and just not. <laughs> those stories are wow! I would have never thought. Yeah, no, nah, those, yeah. those stories definitely surprised me. I, I and even hearing you say it, oh again, by the way, I, we didn't I didn't formally introduce myself. My name is Adama, and I thank you again, Miss mm-hmm. Kamasa, for coming in today and being here and speaking with us. Um, but when you speak about scrutiny, I, I just started thinking myself because I think I've, I've been in a position where I've been able to see or I've been interested in seeing how successful people, um, I guess, go through their lives and learn and experience different things. Mm-hmm. And when you speak about scrutiny, I feel like from time to time there are certain cases where I see that 
there are people who are loved and then they get to a position and once they get to their position, they start facing this criticism and this level of scrutiny coming back from people. And it almost feels a bit of a, almost like a betrayal. I don't know if, 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 we, if I could call it that or not, but for lack of a better word. But I was wondering if for you, if it was like you were facing scrutiny the entire time up even when you gained your position and then onward, or was it something where you were in a position where everything was going fine, you got to where you were, you hoped you'd be, you got to that successful position, and all of a sudden, now there's this backlash, and then people are prying and trying to get to know and, and put different things out there and make your life harder. Is that something that you faced the entire time so, or something that came? That's an excellent question. So I feel like I had a life before the government positions and a life a life during the government position, and of course, a life after. Mm-hmm. Before I moved to Mali, that was 2018, I was in Washington, D.C., living my life, during, doing my publications, writing my articles, being on TV. And of course, a lot of people disliked me or didn't like what I said. Well, I don't agree with your point here and would try and correct me. It was all very nice and civil. Yeah. Once you get to a perceived position of power, once you get to a position where people think that you actually have power mm-hmm. because you're close to people of power and you're even close to the president, then it becomes a totally different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, the scrutiny that I'm talking about, I cannot even tell you who it came from. I cannot tell you whether it was actually coming from the people who were quote unquote nice to me before I moved. Yeah. I don't, I, I think it was come, I believe it was coming from thirsty journalists mm-hmm. whom apparently I never invited to my <laughs> office and I should have, or, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've been told a lot of theories about why they were um, unleashed like that. Yeah. But I do feel that the closer you get to power, the more difficult it gets uh, for people not to judge you, not to want to uh, pray in your personal life. They want to know what you're up to. They want to know what's going on in your house. Um, I remember, you know, when I was prime minister, um, I was struggling with, you know, being on the road all the time. I used to travel a lot before I moved to Mali, but that was another another level. I was always <laughs> on a plane going somewhere. So the only moments of rest that I had were on the plane, actually. Oh, wow. So my phone was off. I could watch a movie. I could, you know, not be disturbed by emails or by, by colleagues who would come to me for, you know, to tell me about a crisis that needed to be averted. So I would sleep a lot on planes. And I remember one day I land in Bamako and then somebody calls me and says, oh, uh, beware, there's this this journalist who wants to write an article about you sleeping on planes. (laughs) I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Well, there's somebody who did say to a journalist apparently that every time he sees you on a plane, you sleep. I'm like, well, so well, he should go ahead and write that article because <laughs> these people have tried to tell me how I should dress. Yeah. They've tried to tell me how yeah. I should speak. Now they want to tell me when I should sleep. 
Yeah. Oh hell no! Tell him she just write that article. I, I'm just I'm just waiting for it. Well, it never came. But it's just just to give you an example of of how ridiculous yeah. it can get. But again, I think that I was probably getting that much attention because I was considered this little girl in the government mm. who was who was who had this high level position. But it never stopped. I moved then from the foreign minister, the foreign ministry. I moved, went to the digital economy uh, ministry. Well, that's not a such an important ministry, you would think. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought, well, they're gonna, you know, get off my back. Well, it just never stopped. Wow. It never stopped. And there's something really interesting you said, and um, while you explained the story, you were saying you said something along the lines like people actually think you have power. And that People actually, actually think, <laughs> yeah, they actually, yeah, they actually think you have power. That brings me to a, my second question that I wanted to ask. So, mm-hmm. in on the African continent, when women get um, a position in the government, they're usually looked at as um, token positions, you know. And this was echoed yeah. kind of in the way you said actually power. So that was actually interesting that you said that. And I wanted to know: Do you believe this is truthful? And if so, what steps need to be taken in order to bring that change? These positions of perceived power, you're a foreign minister. There, there are a lot of layers that you have to make a decision. Even minister, the state is big. The state, like as an apparatus, is is huge. So, in the morning and, and think, well, you know, I'm gonna, and this is gonna happen, and this is. So people about how power works, and they project their fantasy. On you, all of a sudden, yes, they think you're a power woman. Or you. So, to come back to your question, I don't think that these positions are t- token positions. They are real positions. But because as a woman, you spend so much time protecting yourself, diffusing rumors, trying to get people to respect you, that you might or you may lose sight of the first reason why you are picked to do this or that. And um, everything, every every young woman I speak to, I, I caution them on that. And I, did t- I do tell them, you need to protect yourself. You need to make sure that, you know, whatever lies they're saying don't get to you. But you also have to make sure that the lies don't become truth. Because when you when you continue to stay si- silent, people do think that what they said was true. They, mm. they they start believing their lies. So at some point, you have to make sure that the truth is known, and you have to pick which ones you say. But you have to keep your eyes on the prize. You you still have to uh, to deliver, and that's mm. I think the most difficult. Um, as a woman who has a family to take care of, who has children, um, and it, it's just it's just difficult. It's a challenge. It's an everyday challenge. Yeah, I mean, speaking to that a little bit, because I, I know to have a position like you have, at the, 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 like in any position, you have there's a boss, there's there's everybody has a role to fill in, and you have to, I guess, do you have to do your role to the best of your ability. And a lot of mm-hmm. jobs require a lot of sacrifice. And like you said, you do have to be mindful of your own personal wellness, your own personal well-being. Mm-hmm. I don't think people necessarily understand 
how much sacrifice actually is to really set aside sometimes the way that you would do something effectively yep. to do it in a different manner. Could you, mm-hmm. I guess, speak to balancing that out? Because to sacrifice and to, to, to give to your job is you're giving part of yourself. You know, you're, you're, you're putting part of yourself out there, which is risking your own personal yeah. wellness. So how exactly do you keep track of your own personal well-being while having to give everything to this other, to this other entity, yeah. this other thing, you know? So I'm not, I don't think that I, um, I'm very good at that. Um, (laughs) yeah, I'm still working on it really. Um, I'm not good at that because, um, so when I was prime minister, I wasn't, I I didn't have any kids, only have a husband. And at the time I only had a husband. Um, well, that's, that counts for one kid, but, um, (laughs) I, I was 300% in my, in my job. I, you know, I thought, well, you know, the president trusted me with that position. All these people think that I cannot actually deliver, so I have to prove them wrong. So I was 300%, you know, head in the sand trying to get things um, to work. And in theory, I can tell you that it's very, very, very important because your your body is, um, will send you signals to tell you, look, I'm exhausted. And I cannot continue functioning. Mm. And then I do have friends who come to me and tell me that, look, today I made this huge mistake. That's because I only slept two hours last night. Uh, Oh, today, you know, I was driving and I almost fell on the wheel because I fell asleep on the wheel because I only slept three hours last night. I wanted to, you know, finish this report. Mm. Or, um, oh, I have this back pain because... Um, I've been traveling nonstop for the past three months and I haven't taken care of myself. These are real examples that we all, you know, we've all heard stories like that. They're real. Um, all I can say is that you do, you definitely do have to take care of yourself. And I am a fan of daily planners where you actually jot out your, your to-do list for the day. Yeah. And usually towards the end of the day, I take like 30 minutes um, to either read, watch Netflix, um, I don't know, take a long shower, yeah. like at least do, thirty do minutes like myself, like do, do yeah. things exactly, <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, yeah. you start becoming a robot, yeah. and you, you're just not social anymore. Yeah. Um, and and I know for a fact that you you just cannot. I've, I've heard an expression not long ago. Somebody told me, uh, well, you know, you cannot pour from a, an empty cup. I'm like, oh yeah, that's very, very real. You cannot pour from an empty cup. Yeah. And and she was like, well, then you that means that you have to recharge. Mm-hmm. And in order for you to give to others, to your friends, to your family, to whoever, you need to have some me time. It's just no joke. It's not It's not a joke and it's not, enough, it's not luxury either. You really have to do it. Yeah. I mean, for yourself and for others. Yeah, for, definitely for yourself, brothers. I I think like and one of the things that especially when you talk about like how you you at a time gave three hundred percent to your job. Um, when I think of when I think of women, I think of just like even when I think of human beings, and I think of people who have it hard on this planet. Uh, my own personal take is that black women have it the hardest, um, having to be black and then having to be a woman. I think those two combinations mm-hmm. just make it insanely hard in this world, and to do um, you know to be able to effectively do what you want to do. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But one stereotype that we've heard a lot of times is like, especially for women, you can't give a hundred percent to this one thing and then be able to effectively be able to do the other quote unquote roles, other things you're supposed to do in your job, whether it's your family or taking care of, you know, your husband, your child or whatever it might be. How has that been being able to give 300% as you say to your job that you love and then be able to also have something you love, which is your family on the other side and still be able to give another 300% to that. Cause I feel like that combination right there is, I'm sure it's definitely tiring, but I'm sure it's also super rewarding. Well, you know, it's also, you know, it's, it's math. So if you, if you look at it this way, if you focus 300% on one thing, that means that you're neglecting other stuff, mm. right? And that other stuff that are necessary, important for you, um, are going to end up suffering. And um, now that I've become a mother, I realize that my, my child is not an option. So, um, so I, I actually mathematically cannot give 300% to one thing because I have a child and she's there to remind me that, you know, I need to give her her time too. So, um, you know, and my advice would be, would be to you as, as young men would be to, to any young woman out there struggling to balance a schedule is you do have to set up some time every day, be it even 10 minutes for I think we lost there. In- How can we say you're kind of cutting in and out? <laughs> oh, sorry. Hold hey. up. Let me... I think you're good. You're good. We can let me you cut my, my Wi-Fi. Okay, let me... Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. We can hear you now. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Sorry, I did cut my Wi-Fi. Uh-uh. Um, so, um, yeah, what, I, what I'm saying is that, um, well, the, the advice that I would give to, to any young women out there, to you as, as young professionals, um, who will find a time where you're you're um, finding challenging to balance the schedule is really to set up a time for yourself every day. Whether it's five minutes or ten minutes, it has to become a habit because you will. If you don't, you will end up exhausted, uh, and you'll end up hating the job that you you dreamed about and you you really worked hard to get to. Yeah. So. To me, it's even like a, a matter of a survival. You you have to set up that time for yourself if you if you want to survive. Otherwise, you might find yourself in a very difficult uh, situation. Nice, thank you. Thank you. And let me say, we have one last question for you. I know you you gotta go, but this is a fan question. We have to ask it, otherwise sure. they will be mad at us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This question is: Do you think Gender equality is a significant concern to men and women in the African society. <laughs> when when we talk about about gender equality, uh-huh. 
well, I'm not going to generalize and talk about Africa as one one big country, but the country of Mali, which I know best, <laughs> um, gender equality is considered an afterthought. Um, if you if you talk about gender equality, people will tell you, well, you know, um, this is not the time to talk about that, or it's not important because we have better issues to discuss, and you know. I don't think it's a main concern uh, for, you know, people in, in society. It's not, actually. It's not. Let me just be blunt. It's not. Even for women? Uh, even for women. Mm. Even for women. Do you think it's no. a priority thing? Or do you think people are just kind of comfortable in their positions? I think people don't care. Mm. I mean, gender equality, what does that mean? They, I think there's this general... Uh, feeling that it's a westernized concept that was imported mm-hmm. into Africa and that is not fit for African families and African culture. Yeah. Right? So so let, let me tell you this. To me, anybody, like at, on a personal level, whether you're a man or you're a woman, can achieve gender equality if they're willing to. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's, it's that that's difficult to achieve. What I think is difficult for having lived in Mali and been in a prominent position where people were questioning whether I was married or not and blah, 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 and why I didn't have kids and et cetera, et cetera. I feel like um, women are, uh, are considered as, um, I'm not going to use, I wanted to use a word that might, be uh, insulting to most women, but they are, in, um, I don't even know if that word exists in English, infantilized or considered like as kids. Okay, okay. People don't think that they're fit to hold high level positions. It doesn't matter whether you have three PhDs and three master's degrees, these men over there still think that you are not, mm-hmm. you should not hold these positions. And I don't, I don't, and I cannot come up with a, a good explanation for that. I don't know what it is. It's certainly not religion because the the Islam I know actually encourages women to take their place in society. Yeah. Um, so it it's not religion. It has to be cultures and patriarchy. Yeah. That I don't know how you change, honestly. I don't know how, how, how you change. I remember speaking to a young Malian woman just a few days ago. She's a little younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was telling me that she doesn't think that she's strong enough to, you know, be in a position where, you know, she's seen on TV every day and where people do write about her um, and talk about her the way they did talk about me back in the days. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why would you even say that? Oh, no, 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 it's traumatizing. I don't, I, well, yeah. she's smart, smart, smart. Let me tell you, Harvard graduate, right? Wow. Fully bilingual French and English. She is so smart. Wow. And I thought to myself, that's a waste. That, that, that's a waste. And so, you know, gender, gender equality is, is to me the same as uh, a peace in the world <laughs> or, um, you know, um, everybody has a Lamborghini and nobody, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, it, it's, it's an ideal that you would want to go towards, but 
Hopefully, our you know, generation it, it, can it, change that. You know. Yeah, um, and I'm sure. I'm sure you. You. Can, the thing is, the things that we are living today. Um, just a little older than you, probably ten, at least ten, fifteen years older than you. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the things that I am living today are probably going to become obsolete um, in fifteen years. Probably in your generation, mm-hmm. you'll be at a different at a different level, and that's it's just the way society evolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you definitely, you know, kudos to you. Opened up the doors for a lot of young women in Africa. Not only Mali, but all, like, the whole continent. I've seen Forbes articles written about you. So thank you for that. And hopefully, by the time we reach to these positions, <laughs> it won't be the same anymore. We'll try our hardest, you know, to well, make change happen. Well, there is that. But also, let me, let me tell you that my, my biggest champions, the ones who really helped me lift my head up were men. Mm-hmm. So don't think that you know, when you get to those positions, the only thing you will need to do is appoint women or have women as collaborators or, you know, team members. You also have to help them out. Yeah, of course, of course. You also have to understand, you know, if, you know, if they have a toddler and the toddler is sick, well, be flexible. It's okay to give them a day off. Mm -hmm. If you realize that they are facing public scrutiny, you know, give them a word of comfort. Mm-hmm. And it's, sometimes it's really, really good to hear those from, from men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was, that was great. Okay, that was guys. Great. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> Kamisa, thank My you for coming pleasure. on. My pleasure. I, I know you had to go. Thank you so, thank so you. much. And we hope no problem. to hear from you some more here. Please. please okay, well, it will be a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you so much. much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was that was interesting. That yeah, was no, interesting. I love that. that Honestly, I started thinking. I just had like mad more like questions. That, oh, mad more! <laughs> but I had uh, several more questions that I thought about in my brain. Just like she was just like started stimulating my brain more and more. I just started going. I was like, yo, dang! Like it's just you just every time you speak about it, like and I, and I think that's something that we come across like with all our topics. Like once the conversation starts, you start realizing how much more multifaceted it is, yeah. and like, it's just so many routes and ways that you can go about one specific thing. And it's just connected to so many other things. Like when we speak about when she says like, "Oh, there's, there's, like, how do you fix the fact that men in these positions don't feel like women should hold these positions?" Like, and it's not a religion thing. It's not anything like that. It's like, it's, it's several things. Patriarchy. It's, I don't know. I guess yeah. pride it, it, falls in those that. Came those came up on the, on the last episode too. Yeah. The, the one yeah. that really, you know surprised me that I didn't even think about is the the amount of scrutiny like a government official takes but like <laughs> mentally how they have to deal with it because oh, you know yeah. we don't even think like like we forget when somebody holds that high position you kind of forget that they're human so like stories like hearing like oh they said you were sleeping on a plane like what do you expect for her to be awake on a plane like she don't need to yeah, sleep or something yeah. like, it's crazy uh, too that you say that my boy, guy, guy, guy. I was going to ask her too like how does she deal with the, um being a woman in that field like are more expected of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said. She said it. She was like, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, they felt like she wasn't maybe qualified, or because she's a woman, or she's too young and not enough experience and stuff like that. So, yeah. like she said, she had to go three hundred percent more yeah. than you know other people would go. Which yeah. so that, I found that interesting. A key and thing I also um, listened and heard too was that like not only being a woman in the field dealing with that pressure, but also from your culture, you know. 
being that, like, you know, feel like that, sometimes you be expected that your culture supports you and uplifts you and, like, you know, dealing with being that you're a very high-ranking um, governmental official, that your culture will support you, being that you're a woman, too, you know. So, like, her, hearing her perspective, like, it's kind of shocking, too, you know, so... Yeah, for yeah, sure. That was interesting. And they're definitely trying to, they're coming from heads. That's what, that's what I heard. They're just trying to take you down and put the next person, which, yeah. you know, being that it's my country, that kind of made me sad, but, you know. <laughs> it's, not, it's not only thing, because even when we speak about, like, scrutiny and stuff like that, like, what I think about is, because I finished reading um, uh, Obama's book yeah. um, not too long ago, and it's just speaking about, like, well, he gave a lot of perspective. The book literally was just him. Reiterating the stories that we've all heard, kind of, but him giving us his personal standing and how he felt emotionally and mentally from his side while all these stories were going out, and and I'm sure in Michelle's book she details this more um, clearly, and it's something that I started reading, haven't really like finished yet, um, but as I get to it, you start seeing that they were vilified. Like it's it's insane how one moment you you can be a sweetheart and everybody has all the hopes and hopes for you and once you get there because you've reached the quote unquote top, all they can do is just find ways to see when you may or may not fall. Down. You know what I'm saying? It's everything is like, oh oh, it looked like you slipped. You better be quicker than that. Yeah, you know sure. what I'm saying? <laughs> Stuff like that. So it's definitely crazy. Yeah, and the second guest we are having on today's name is Raisa Gironda. She's uh media consultant she actually has her own um she's a co-founder of a communication agency that specializes in media training public relations and content production for um personalities and companies that are africa related so you know she's been on african shows she was actually the host of a radio show um in african issues on african issues in china and the u.s so her perspective, to hear her perspective as well about this topic would be very, 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 very um, interesting to hear. So we're waiting for her to join. And let's see if we can get her on. Yeah. There's definitely one thing I want to know. Just like the woman versus woman concept in their fields. That's something I wanted to ask that it, it could come out, but I couldn't. Um, time purposes. What do you mean? Like, again, like. Because one thing that's popped up recently um, in sports world, Rachel Nichols versus uh, Taylor, uh, Marie Taylor. She works as an ESPN host as well. And they're the two, in my opinion, I guess the two most talented women hosts on their network at the moment. And their network consists of over 50 males. There's tons of shows, five, six, seven shows a day. I think she's actually (laughs) on. Hello, Raisa. Hello, hello. Nice. How are you? Thank hello. you, thank you so hello. much for coming on. Thanks for coming. You, thank you for having me. I appreciate. It. I already introduced you, but if you would like to, oh, give us, I didn't hear. You didn't hear it. So, would you would you like to introduce yourself then? Drop the no, flowers again. No, that's okay. I'm pretty sure. Let me let me just say something. Maybe something you didn't tell about me and nobody knows. Maybe it's going to be more. <laughs> yes, yes, please, please, please. But thank you. I'm very happy to be there. Uh, so I don't know if you pronounce my name properly, but I have a French name and I know that most of the people, they mess it up. Girondin. I got it, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's really hard. Like that's the French name. Last name. So my name is Raisa G for most people who cannot pronounce my name, but mm-hmm. Raisa Girondin. For mm. those who can, um, I'm an Afro Caribbean. 
mm. born in Paris, Paris coming from Guadeloupe, a Caribbean island. Uh, I grew up in uh, a tough suburb, <laughs> <laughs> um, a city called Argentay, which was this, uh, the nut tank, the 95 days, a little bit tough. Mm. Um, modest family. Um, my family environment was uh, a bit complicated. I'm the oldest of three, no brothers. Okay. I'm saying all of that because I think it has a lot, uh, uh, a lot of link of my career path. I think we can link stuff very <laughs> easily. Mm. Um, but I, I see that in my career, like uh, my love for adversity to do new things, uh, my like determination. Uh, to the fact that I do have a fighting spirit, all of that came from my childhood because I, I, I felt like I, I had to survive many situations. Oh, wow. But now um, I was a journalist. I, t- uh, I took a little break. Now I'm a communication expert. Um, and uh, for me to be a, a good journalist or good communication expert is uh, to not think you the best or as a woman to be the most beautiful or to be the first is just like you have to focus more on like your substance, like to, how to have more substance and also your vision. Mm. Those are extremely fun facts. See, I didn't introduce you like that, so that's good that yeah, you that was, that were was, able to was say that. Much more beautiful story. I, Tamba was able to give tons of flowers, but that was yeah, that was story. that. That was you. You beat me for sure, Raisa. All right. Again. Oh, th- and I'm a Pisces too. I'm a Pisces, and my favorite color is orange. Oh, nice. 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 Some mm. people know. I think that's the best one. Nice, nice. I I could have guessed from uh, the. The pamphlet you sent me is a lot of orange. Like it's like I could have guessed your favorite. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna give you some clapping hands for coming on. Thank you, thank you again. Right. Uh, so Isa, um, so we're gonna get straight into the questions. We just got off with Camisa, and she gave us a lot of insight about um the governmental aspect of um women in the African society, and it was very interesting to hear, and also a bit surprising. To a certain level, mm. um, with you, you were now that you, you transitioned into a communication cons- consultant. But you were a journalist that covered the African um, continent, mm-hmm. and we know that it's very difficult just being a journalist alone in Africa. But being a woman as well just makes that, I guess, ten times harder. Um, so, would you mind telling us and our crowd a bit about some of the challenges you faced throughout this path? Okay, so for me, it's weird, but maybe that's why I explain my personality first, (laughs) (laughs) or where I'm coming from, because I actually think it did help me a lot, Uh, like the way I grew up and uh, my personality and to not be in, in certain box. I started as an intern in France for a magazine called Amina Magazine. is a magazine like very focused on African women, African and Caribbean women. So on that level, I didn't have any challenge. Like, yeah, I just, I'm a sports lover. I've been running track for many years and 
I focus a lot on athletes mm. to know how athletes think and how they do things and their spirit. So I was writing a lot about um, athletes in general. And uh, But then I realized that in Paris and in France, the sports market is very small. Mm. It's very small. And uh, mm. most of the sports market, like in the U.S., is bigger. And um, so that's how I ended up. I know there's a lot of that's weird, but I ended up in China. I ended up in China uh, working as a a journalist covering African issues. Um, And the biggest challenge that I met is like, I realized, okay, Raisa, you got to speak several languages. Because in China, they do not speak no French and very little English. So the, the, the first challenge is when you grew up in an environment and now you never left the country. And then you end up in a place where people, they do not know your culture mm-hmm. and they do not know where you're coming from. They do not <laughs> even know like island, a Caribbean island. So they do not understand also the, the history of a lot of things. So for me, a cross-cultural communication, I realized it was very important to convey some message, to be able to tell the story of people, but to also be a, like a teacher at the same time yeah. you got to learn from other culture exactly. so you kind of you have to listen you have to sit you have to listen to the culture and trying to find some connection mm-hmm. you know to find some common ground so that was my first challenge that was not easy especially in this continent asia like there's a lot of common points but there's a lot of differences also in the um, the way they think, the behavior, the non-verbal, the verbal, there's a lot of difference. Um, another challenge, um, it's, um, uh, for example, I, I've been working here also um, as a journalist um, covering um, African issues for Voice of America. Mm-hmm. But contrary to the Chinese, because Chinese people, it was most of them was Chinese people. Like it was not that much African people there uh, working as journalists. But here in the in Washington, most of my colleagues, they were coming from Africa. Mm. Some from Burkina Faso, some from Mali, some from uh, Central Africa. You know, but what was interesting to see it was that I realized that my personality, like when you bury your woman, you're young. Mm-hmm. You black, very independent, straightforward, very frank. Um, you you want you really want to speak about Africa, but more about the Africa rising, more positivity. Yeah, the positive stuff. I sure. realized of personality kind of makes some people uncomfortable mm-hmm. because in. The African, even you from the diaspora, but in the culture, you have to, you know, they still the man-woman thing. They still the gender. They still you the youngest, so you should not say that, or you should speak to that person like that. They, you, you understand what I mean? So, yeah, I, I felt that it was very interesting to feel that I had most of the biggest challenges was here in America than China. Wow. It was here in the U.S. 
you know, working with my African peer. <laughs> so that was interesting. That was very interesting. Um, but it did help me, um, somebody who's very open. I like um, very intuitive. That's why I said at the, at the beginning of the Pisces, I feel like I can relate easily to other people's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can be speaking to an entrepreneur or to a government official, to a president, but I always try to find a way to find that connection. It actually helped me a lot a lot to be able to speak to different type of people and to adapt to any situation live or recorded or (laughs) any continent being in China, being in Ivory Coast, Congo, or in the United States, you know, you have to be flexible. Especially speaking on being flexible, because I I was thinking about, especially on the topic of challenges that you may or may not have faced. Um, one an article that popped up to me uh, that's going on in the United States with a, a sports network is dealing with women having to compete over, I guess, over the same position in, in, in their fields um, where there's still a plethora of men in, in almost, I guess, similar positions. And what riled me up about the, about the article was that it was two women competing for one spot where I felt that there was a plethora of men with seats that I felt those women were better than. And it brought up a conversation mm. because the network, which is ESPN, is is struggling to give two women the ability to to be out in front, which was confusing to me because I feel like both of them are talented enough to have their own seat leading mm. and being uh, great at their jobs in in this media position. So I was wondering for you, do do you have did did you have to face any of those things? Was there a lot of competition between did, was there a lot of pitting between you and other women? Was that dynamic existing or was it fluid? Was the the journey to I guess was that was that challenge not there or not? Oh hell no, my journey was not straight at all. <laughs> 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 it was not, but what I can say is it was not a woman thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know Camisa, she's coming from a place from a power because it's, uh, politic. it's political and the place of power people fight. But we always say also media is the fifth power. That, that's a lot of power in the end of people when you have to constantly give message to people every day. People watch the news and they just drink what you say. Yeah. And in those places... Even if you don't see, there is a lot of competition. And the mm-hmm. competition is not between women and women. It's between, like, everyone who wants to climb. Mm-hmm. Okay. So people will do the worst thing for you if they don't want you to stay. <laughs> they will, they will, Create they will all types of stuff. Sabotage. They will do all types of things. Mm-hmm. You just got to be tough and be professional yeah. and show that, you're not there to compete to show you the best. You're just there to convey your message, to show that you have substance, to do your research. Um, that's mm-hmm. why you got to show. But yes, in those places where I've been working, it was a lot of competition. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a lot. A, it was not between women only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. 
Yeah, um, hey, my name is, I just want to um, formally introduce myself. My name is Amiri, and I'm um, glad to have you in the podcast. Hi. But um, this is very interesting to hear a perspective about your experience in the field of communications and where you've lived. So I just want to ask you, um, how have your experience been, being that you're specifically from Guadalupe, but you lived in Paris, or also worked mm-hmm. in China, and having to deal with unapologetically being yourself and representing where you come from, like being that you're in a field that's more male dominated or that's more westernized, like how have you like unapologetically be yourself and have you have to like felt like you have to conform in any type of way? So like how have like that experience been for you? Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure I understood the whole question, but just in what I understood is, uh, yeah, I always to 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 be to be to be an anchor, for example, in China or to be an anchor in America to do what I do. I always stick to myself. I I was just myself. I I was not trying to fit to any type of things. You know, I'm a, a black woman, short. I wear locks mm. and. <laughs> I don't know if you can see, but like there's not many people on um, time mm-hmm. on television with dreadlocks. Yeah, uh, I was it. there in China. They were looking at me like, "Who is she? Like, where did she come from?" But but I, I do feel that we have a responsibility because uh, media today it they media influence the the perception mm-hmm. of. Of uh, our perception of, of ideas of the role also of women, even in the society, and uh, and I've seen like unfortunately so many women and sometimes even men they try to stick in a box because they feel like that's what it is supposed to be, and uh, uh, me I I just wanted to to stay me. Uh, to represent who I am. I am uh, uh, an African from the diaspora. I'm from the Caribbean. Uh, I was very happy to, to to say where is my island, Guadeloupe, but I was born in France. Black people do exist in France because a lot of people in Asia don't know that. They don't know that. So um, I, was, I, was, uh, I was happy to share all of that. And uh, um, and I do believe that representation is very, very important. Very important. Uh, I actually I have a six mentee. I mentor six women in West Africa, mm-hmm. and one of these, uh, this, most of these women, they want to be journalists. And then one of these women, she's in Senegal, and she came to me that. and said that. You know, Raisa, I want to be a journalist. I want to do television, but I always fail on my oral tests to pass the test for the school because I wear hijab. You know, she's Muslim. And when they ask me questions about how I'm going to handle myself on television with the hijab, I just freeze and I I cannot pass the test because I do not know what to say uh, when it comes to religion. And that's very sensitive. And so... Mm -hmm. I prep her. I try to give her like self confidence to feel comfortable in front of the camera, um, for a voice, for to to be able to explain also uh, mm-hmm. 
that religion is religion, but it has nothing to do with also a will to be journalist, you know. So, and I realized little by little by mentoring people that journalists, I, I wanted to take a break, but I, I need to help. I felt like I needed to help people. I needed to help people to convey their message, to feel more comfortable in front of journalists, to feel more comfortable being journalists mm. or being communicator. And that's how I started and I created in um, in 2020, it was in the middle of the pandemic, but I created G Media. So um, G Media like, is a consultancy, communication consultancy. Okay. I do advise company, advice, personality, politician, artist, NGOs uh, for the message. And most of them, they Africa-related. Mm-hmm. But that's how I realized that to have an impact, you, you, you have to inspire people, but you have also to help people. And unfortunately, the news industry right now, I felt like where I was working in general, the impact it brings fear to people. Mm-hmm. News media mm-hmm. brings fear to people. Yeah. When we speak mm-hmm. about Africa, for example, from the US, they love all right, I talk about terrorism, Ebola. <laughs> we need to hear about you know, mm-hmm. like those topics. And I'm like, we we need to um help people with positive also, not only negativity, but like yeah. positivity uh, good storytelling to prep people to be visible and to be able to convey the message and to feel to feel okay to feel okay to bring the story up and to not wait for all the media or international media to bring the story. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely controlling the narrative. I, I think. Yeah, is, that's is, important. Is definitely the biggest thing. Um, yeah, no. Nah. It's Sorry, crazy. Sorry, I went all know, over the place. No, no, no. It was <laughs> good because, like, because a couple of things like surprising <laughs> while you were saying it too. Because even the you said the the girl that you mentor in Senegal. I'm from Senegal, and I know that like oh. um you know it was basically over 95 percent Islamic. And to hear that like she still has to deal with like even having to think about how she's gonna move around, you know, and yeah. like do her job because of the hijab, you know, in in, in a country where that is should be one of the least of her worries. I, I, and, you know, mm-hmm. I would assume. So that, that, that to me definitely stands out, but it, that, that was just what I wanted to say real quick. Yeah, for sure. Um, right. So when you brought up the fact that, you know, you had to make an impact, like recently we've seen more and more women starting to try to make these impacts, even though sometimes the support of men is lacking. So having covered the mm-hmm. African continent, do you think that this Gender equality. I'm putting air quotes up right now because, you know, we, we believe it's like non-existent in Africa. But do you think <laughs> it's a significant issue to women living on the continent, first of all? Huh, okay. Uh, I can only talk from <laughs> what I know and my perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah your experience. Yeah, and, so. and I think I, I touched a little bit on that when I answered the previous question. Mm-hmm. I feel like we all have a responsibility when it comes to that. And media are the first also responsible mm-hmm. of that. When you look at television, I don't know if you scroll sometimes and look at uh, African television and you see the stereotype, the type of woman they put on television. Yeah. When you mm-hmm. see an ad- advertising in the film, in the telenovas, 
you see the stereotype and you're like, but why? Mm. Like, why it is those type of women who's like in 90% of the case they, they showcase on television? Why we don't have better, better, better model, role model, yeah. you know? Mm. And so I think there is a work to do on that um, when it comes to at least the media. We have to transform that. Mm. Uh, if we want to achieve gender equality in African society, it has to start also by the content, the content creator and the media houses. They have to change. They have to show women doing like leadership role. They have to show women experts on diversity of topics yeah. on daily basis. Like I was, when I was in, because I interviewed several times Kamisa, Kamara, I interviewed also the previous president, uh, Ibrahim Boubacar Keita, and all of that. And I was very, uh, I was honored to see that there is a woman, black woman, young, who was doing things in, mm -hmm. in the country because, unfortunately, me having hosted like for several years debate political debate, most of the time it was only men. It's really hard when it comes to politics. And we know, and God knows in Africa, they love politics and they watch political debate like yeah, every day, all, all the day. Time, all the time. It's, most of the time, it's, 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 it's men. Mm -hmm. It's only men yelling at each other. Yep. And, and you can see a few women, but very few, and sometimes it's very stereotyped. So, uh, I really do believe media got to change. The content we create, I think uh, we have to make that effort. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I hear you, and you bring up. I mean, you you, you start me because I think it's cool to hear somebody who's in your position and in that media position. It sounds like you know take accountability and say that all right, this is where I feel like change starts with us. However, yeah. me from the outside looking in, I've I've been of the mindset that a lot of it. I, th I think it's multifaceted, so I know that definitely different pieces play a role. It's never just one one person or one group. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's always been about the people and, and our demand for the right types of stories or the right types of information or for these these people that we put in positions to give us this these these pieces of knowledge or whatever that might be, for us to make sure that we choose who we want to give that information accordingly, correctly, and to constantly want change better for ourselves. Because I, I think if we don't ask for that change, then there's no reason for anybody to change it. Mm, and, and that I, is true. Because that, that, that's just my thing. Because these are people who are also... Because it's, like we said, it's multifaceted. It's not just we want to deliver... If it's just about delivering information and just giving good news, then okay, I, I would say then, all right, then it is on the... The, the group or the entity to give us better information. But we know that it's also a running business, you know? So it's there, there's incentive involved and in all these different things. So I don't know if maybe me saying it changes anything or anything like that or how you feel about it. But for me, I've always felt like it's it's the people's demand for what they want, what they want to see, and what, what, they, what they desire. And they need to ask for it. And without that demand or that that ability to sit down and say, no, we want change or we want these different things. There's no reason for these big corporations to do anything different because we're the status quo. Yeah, in the perfect world. <laughs> that would be, be good. But, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm more, with time I'm realizing that it is not that easy to set 
his own way to mm. to create his own demand. Sometimes we think we want that, but do you really want that when you saw that you open your social media account and you have fast time that same advertisement? Do you really want it, <laughs> or because you've been exposed to it, you're like, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe I should watch it. You know, maybe. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so I'm just saying that now we come to a time where, yes, we have our demand, we have to demand things, what we want, etc. But it's not everybody who find that power to set his yeah. own way, his own demand. To we in Africa, a lot of people they don't have that tendency to to request stuff. Mm. They just you know they just doing their life and what they have is they they content with what they have. You know, they're not going to ask for much. You know, and and so I do feel media houses has a responsibility for that. It has to start by <laughs> that. Yes, like, we need, we need really, more people like you. We need more people <laughs> like you. To well. take, like, no, for sure, well. to take accountability. And once you get to those positions, if you can do something, especially in Africa, if you love the continent, why not? You know, that's that's the angle I look at it. And, you know, you definitely deserve some claps for the, you know, <laughs> for what you're doing. And, you know, even mentoring women, because it's He's small things. It's, it's small things that, that are going to make changes like that. But I want to shift gears a little bit and get into you know, your family and professional life balance, you know? We know being from African descent, it can be extremely difficult, you know, to step out of um, your traditional gender role. And especially as a woman, you know, those roles are often imposed to you by, you know, your family members, parents, aunts, uncles, etc. So I want to know, how were you able to maneuver through these, you know, gender roles that were put on you? And what advice can you give to, you know, young women to maybe that are maybe facing these obstacles today? Oh, I'm such a bad example. <laughs> yeah, I think being a journalist is, is, is a very free spirited. Hey, hey, yeah, that's why I say that. That's why I said that in a sense where um I always been my own person. When mm. I say that is um I I was talking about setting his own way, and I did on my journey. I never compare my life to anybody else, so that I never felt that pressure mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, the work-life balance. I, I have to be like that. It's true that in the African and Caribbean culture, they want women to be a certain way and to do certain things. Um, but um, I don't know. Um, my value, my education, uh, my belief, I always felt like I have to do to do my own the way I want to do. Yeah. And it actually did help as a journalist because I was traveling, so I didn't have on my side like that family pressure because I was mm-hmm. out there. So now it's true that after with time, um, you know, I had, I wanted to set up and I felt like it was difficult sometimes. I felt some type of disconnection. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes work takes more space and you want to be spending more time with your family. Mm-hmm. And what I would advise to young women, it's like when you feel that disconnection because you want to spend time with your children, with more with your family, with the, 
your husband, etc. You or you feel you you lack of balance or you you don't like that pressure that is being put on you. You need to take a break. Yeah. As a young woman, I will say you need to like the journey is not linear. Like you 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 can take a break. You can stop and listen what's happening. Like inside you, you observe what's happening outside also and you just listen and then you figure out you figure out but you have to take a time to listen and to find that balance and when you find that balance you're good to go you know that's what i can say mm-hmm. that's great that's great and i cannot let you go um Raisa, without asking you okay and this mm-hmm. you have you have to be blunt in this one right Oh boy! <laughs> out of out of all the African countries <laughs> that you have covered, which one was the most difficult to deal with? The people. <laughs> oh, you talking about okay? So uh, be specific. So you say the people. You yeah, talking the, about the people? Yeah, or or maybe governments. What what country was the most difficult to deal with? You know, to get information out of. You could, or you could say the best one. You know. Whichever one you feel comfortable, or you could give us both, best and worst. <laughs> oh boy, um, that's weird. I never, I, and it, I'm going to be honest. I never felt any difficulty to mm. uh, to get information mm. from people in the continent. Like you go there, you can connect easily. I connect easily with yeah. the people, so I never felt that. I had actually, what it was hard for me, it was a very traumatic experience, was as I was PR director for a Chinese company called mm-hmm. Star Time, and I had to learn something in Côte d'Ivoire. Mm-hmm. And the it was really hard for the Chinese on the ground to really communicate and to get along with the the Ivory Coast people over there because uh, a lot of disconnections, they didn't understand each other, blah, blah, blah. And way was hard was to deal with somebody with another culture and to explain them how to deal with the uh, people from Côte d'Ivoire. But at the same time, with the people from Côte d'Ivoire, explain them how they... The other part is is working. I don't know. Like I was like mm-hmm. a tampon. Like I was uh, trying to be the liaison, but at the end of the day, I felt like I was kind of fighting <laughs> with everybody because <laughs> I'm just so much so going on. I was like, oh my god, yeah. Um, I do. Uh, I have two countries that I really, really love. Mm. Um, um, I love Cote d'Ivoire, and I do love. Um, Congo, like both mm. Congo, um, GRC and uh, and uh, Brazzaville, and yeah. uh, um, when it comes to difficulty, no, it's just uh, uh, the the pace is different. Uh, people uh, uh, in Congo they slower than people in GRC, for example. Like two different type of people, but there's just a river separate separating yeah. <laughs> them. So that's so weird and. Uh, um, well, the, the the thing is to be there, to be humble, to not come and think because you you were abroad, you knew better. No, you mm-hmm. still got to be humble and learn from the people on the ground and, uh, and adapt Definitely. and adapt. And 
also um what has been challenging to me is being to hide also in Cote d'Ivoire because when I was younger, I, I love dancing. Yeah. I love sports, <laughs> but I love dancing. I've been dancing in the clip video when I was younger, <laughs> and I was very scared that people discover in Cote d'Ivoire that I was there. Oh, we're we're going to have to find that video. We're going to have to find that video. We're going to have to look for this after this. Oh. Right, so thanks for telling us and all our listeners. Like, we will find this video now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Is actually the singer is dead. Um, it's called um, Duke Saga. Oh, Duke Saga! Wow, the Coupe, 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 Coupe de Calais. And it was like I was young, like 2000 and maybe five. Uh, these guys, this group came, and I didn't know who they were. And they were like, "Oh, right, sir, we need to create a movement. Mm-hmm. It's called Coupe de Calais, but we want to create a step, and it's like Coupe de Calais Chinois." Like mm. the Chinese Coupe de Cade. I was mm. like, what is this? Like, I was looking at them like they're crazy people, you know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and that's how I dancing in the clip. With wow, that, me, that so you have moves, Raisa. Right? You have moves. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Real moves. I humbly cocky. Yeah, nah, for sure. So, you, wow, <laughs> this is actually crazy. So, you're a part of the creation of the Coupe de Cade Chinois. Oh, no, no, no. Don't give me too oh, much oh, uh, responsibility like, wow. of this. Oh, boy. No, 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 no. That was interesting. That was probably the most fun fact I've heard today. That was really cool. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, it's nice. only for you because I don't used to give any of all this information to anyone. So wow, um, thank wow. you for having me. I don't know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for coming on again. And you know, giving us your perspective on uh, this podcast. I'm sure a lot of African women, Caribbean women are relating to your position. Of course, you said you're a bit different than, you know, the traditional role being that you've lived in diaspora and you went to China, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Before we let you yeah, go. But two, uh-huh. two, number, the last thing I wanted to say, because I, I, I know he asked me a question earlier, but in Africa, for me, I do believe that is impossible right now to change mm. the mentality of the elder generation. Wow. Okay, so for me, that's why it's necessary to like promote ideas, new ideas to give self-confidence to women, to even to talk to also to, to young men about mm-hmm. that, about yeah. gender equality or other topics, because that's the younger generation who's going to to build the continent, you know. So that's why I, I, I wanted to have, like, very young mentee and I like to speak to younger people than me because I do believe that they are going to do the the Africa. Like, the future, mm-hmm. they are the future, you know. Well, that's a lot so, of pressure on us, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, it's no, not no, too no. much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> not too much pressure. But you will be more tolerant if you know from now on that Okay, there is that gender equality. There is some hardship that African women have to climb the ladder. Like that. if you understand all of that, um, I think like it will be easier for the future. Like oh, really. I so that's a that was great advice. Great advice, and hopefully, you know, young men and women can join together in the future and solve some of these issues that we're having today oh, on the continent. That's what we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. But sure. that's great. And I really support you 
I'm really happy to be with to, to be with you today. And uh, yes, I will follow the podcast. From thank, you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we yeah. hope to have you on again at some point. Yeah, All right. Thank you, thank you so thank much, guys. So much, appreciate it. Bye bye. Bye. Wow, that was great. That was great. She was like, you, you could tell like she was like media because she came in. She already knew what to do. She already knew where to go. Very comfortable with us. But people, people, thank you very much for listening to us today. If you haven't caught part one of Because You're a Woman, I suggest you go back and listen to that one because that's just young women who are trying to make it in society today. Mm-hmm. And being African, they talk about some of the struggles, and it's very, very, mm-hmm. very, very interesting. Way more of a look of at being a young woman growing up in your family dynamic and hearing, you know, the expectations of dad and mom and having to, you know, be a cooker or a coach or think about what you're going to do with your life. That yeah, type of conversation. For sure. This one was more people that are women that are already professional and to get their mm-hmm. perspective and to see that they're actually looking down at like younger people. It's yeah, great. Like they, they didn't forget that mm. young people are still the key Definitely. for the young people listening, like do. us, who are also creating this podcast. They believe in us. Yes, yes, they do. And I believe we can do it too. I believe <laughs> you can do it. And you might ask, where can you find this podcast? Well, this is Africa is available on all podcast platforms. We also have an Instagram page, which is t that i that a underscore pod. We also have. A Twitter page, which is just TIA underscore pod. And you can also find us on Facebook at This Is Africa Podcast. Last word, guys, before we let them go. Uh, no, thanks, guys. Thank I you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys thank guys you. And follow, engage with us, please. We would love to hear feedback from you guys. Facts. So Sounds our content like can be shaped. Shape it up. Coming to be for the people, by the people. Thank you. And see you on the next episode. Pick them one by one, make me bust my gun, poison us like a long pipe.